0: or go to FailYourWay.com for more info. Now back to the show. On Good Authority has had over a million downloads, regularly appears on the top 100 career podcast list, and has been named one of the best publishing podcasts by LA Weekly and Kindlepreneur. Please welcome OG Authority host, New York Times bestselling author, Anna David. There are people who launch books, end up just having a nice thing to put on their shelves. Then there are people who launch books that transform their careers and their lives. As a former member of the first group, I strongly urge you to be part of the second. In this show, I talk to entrepreneurs and authors about how to intentionally launch the book that will serve as the best business card and marketing tool you've ever had. Get ready for takeoff. Hello, and welcome to the podcast that believes that everything you put into your book, you hundredfold. I talk to entrepreneurs, authors, uh, experts, sometimes myself about how to launch a best-selling book that will build your authority and help your business and help your career and help your life. If you like this podcast, I bet you'd love my book, On Good Authority. Yep, same name. You can get links to that and other things by going to ongoodauthoritypod.com. And today's episode answers a question I'm asked a lot. By the way, I recently relaunched a Facebook group called Book Launchers, and it's thriving and exciting. And if you want to join that, you can also get a link to that by going to ongoodauthoritypod.com. In it, a lot of people are asking me one question I've been hearing forever, which is how do I get an agent? It's the people who really want to pursue the traditional publishing path. Well, this, my guest today, talks. She's she's on the traditional publishing path. She talks about how to get an agent. She also talks about how to get published in online and print publications. Uh, she's been published everywhere. She's been at Reader's Digest for years, but she's also been published in the New York Times, among many other publications. She's a professor at NYU, and she's just released her first book, Writing That Gets Noticed. So in this interview, she talks all about how how you can get noticed by editors and agents. And her name is Estella Rasmus. And uh, with that, I'm going to give you our conversation. So here you go. All right. So let's talk about how uh, authors can get published online, in print. Your book gets into all of it. Yes, it is. So let's say you're an author listening to this and you say, well, I would love to write for different publications, um, but I've reached out and I don't get anywhere or I have no idea where to start. What do you say to them?
1: I would say that today it's very, very common that writers, even if they've been writing for a while, will get ghosted by editors. The reason is that it's a very crowded marketplace. A lot of people want to write, and editors are more taxed than ever by their day to day jobs, meaning they have to curate content, they often have to do social media, they deal with invoicing, they deal with editing, coming up with ideas, having meetings, and running the whole gamut. So, to really break through the noise. And that's what I teach my students at NYU and for Writers Digest, and that's what I teach through my book, Writing That Gets Noticed, how to do it. So let's talk about if you are being ghosted, it means that you are not doing something to correctly attract a publication editor's attention. It could be something such as you have a great idea, but you have not added a title, a compelling title. When my piece was accepted at the New York Times, when I received the assignment, it wasn't a full piece at the time, for the pitch, I titled it, How to Bullyproof Your Child. And I put that in the subject line of the email that I sent to the editor. So that immediately, even the title, maybe she wouldn't have been interested in the pitch, but the title got her attention and then she was interested in the pitch. So you start with a compelling title and it's always so helpful to have a good, interesting emotion evoking title. Uh, that will get an editor's attention. So I would look for things that can be a little bit provocative, can show the solution to a problem Mm. and put that. Number two, a lot of people think an editor is going to get in touch with them and they've never written for the publication. And the editor does not know their style, so what I say is in your pitch, write the first paragraph as if it were the actual story. So you're starting out with the paragraph in the pitch and you're showing couple of things. You're showing your knowledge. You're showing how you will execute a sentence. And if you are a good writer, this is a way that you can capture the editor's attention. And the the third way is if you are just throwing out a topic. And I give the example in my book, um, I want to write about peace in the Middle East. Sure. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to write about peace in the Middle East, or I want to write about grief from Mm -hmm. loss, or I want to write about my marriage. But what is the spin? Mm -hmm. Is it is it or even I want to write about parenting. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote a story for um, and I pitched it to The Washington Post, I called it my child is out of control And I explained why, but the spin was, it's the onus is on me. She was acting out, but she saw me acting out with the cable guy, or acting out, having my little moments of road rage. So that made it okay for her. So that was my spin, right? So if you're writing that piece in the Middle East, it's better to say, there are two different families and there's actually there they've uh, formed a neighborhood uh, community and it started with these two families and they're working together. They're different religions and they're working together to build a consensus and they have a rabbi and an emir, you know, so. And I want to talk about that and the practical aspects. And now it's being used by other organizations. Now you have a story with a particular spin on a topic.
0: And so how do people, what is a good way, you know, people hear this and everybody wants to write for the New York Times and everyone wants to do a modern love and all of these things, but you need other, what we used to call clips before
1: you can pitch the big ones, or do you not? Some of my students have tangential experience. So they want to write something and maybe they're a historian and they want to write about the historical impact of a place. So being a historian gives them a little bit of an in. They have some different information. And for that, I would say to them, add in something fresh and new that the editor might not have seen about your topic based on your experience. Or they want to write a story about freezing their eggs, which a student of mine did. And she had personal, she might not have written for the publication before or had a lot of clips at the time. But she had a personal experience that she was able to share some quotes from that got the editor interested in her story. Now, I always advise my students, if you don't have clips, it's pretty simple in this day and age to get clips. I mean, you're not going... I mean, you always I always say strive for the highest level publication, but to get the clips, you can write for local publications, you can write for local newsletters, you can write for your university blog. I mean, there are lots of different places they may not pay a lot or even anything but it is a way if you want to start getting your writing out there it is a way to get your writing out there
0: and there are publications like say elephant journal and thought catalog where literally anybody can upload whatever they want and if a publication like that features you or, you know, on their social media or on their homepage, it can mean getting a lot of attention and even going viral. Is that something you recommend?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say in the beginning, I, I don't like to tell people unless they have a real um, premise to, to work for For free. Right. But I'm not opposed to it. Like if you have a book, sometimes you have to do certain things to get the word out there. And it's kind of like um it's it's a weighing. You know, does this make sense? For me, I've been working so long, I've been 25 years in the publishing field on both sides of the wall as an editor, as an editor in chief, and as a prolific journalist and essayist. And I feel that I'm not gonna tell someone if there's gonna be an opportunity and there's a site that has millions of readers, yes, get that out there, but then use that to then get paying opportunities.
0: How much, though, are these publications paying? You know, back in the day, I could make four grand from a piece. Today, isn't it like
1: $200 kind of thing? I mean, you know, unfortunately, um, while inflation has risen and while many other professions have kept up with the times, The gold standard still for writers, which has been the same since I started editing magazines in the 90s, is a dollar a word. There are publications that will pay more, that will pay two dollars a word. They are usually print and they usually have millions of uh, readers, such as AARP, the magazine. However... Most print will pay 50 cents to a dollar a word, which has not changed in decades. And for online publications, which is much harder for them to fund because they can't they can have ads but it's it's a little harder for them so they have been getting into subscription models and and all sorts of different ways of accruing money they usually pay from 150 to i would say 500 oh for the entire piece yes
0: yes so when someone i, I know that uh it's people who want to sell traditionally Agents will say things like, and I think sometimes they say it to kind of put people off. Oh, well, if you had a big social media following, or if you had a lot of clips or whatever they call it, bylines today, um, then I would be interested. And so then people go and they're like, okay, I got to go write for all these publications. But the reality is five bylines is not going to, you know, and a few hundred followers is not going to make a difference to a publisher. Isn't that true?
1: I mean, I would say if you're going for bylines, aim high. I've had students that would be in my NYU class and they would have a pitch and they'd say, I'm going to start at this blog or I'm going to put it on Medium. I said, no, this is a great idea with a, an amazing uh, psychological term in parenting that, ha- or in depression that hasn't been used before. Send it to the New York Times. Or the Washington Post, and they have been published. And they said, Oh, wow, I would never have aimed so high if you hadn't inspired me to do so. So, um, can you get back to your question? (laughs) Because I think I digress. Well, so
0: people will think, Well, if I just get five articles uh, published or I really focus on my Twitter following, then I can go back to that agent and they're going to sign me. And
1: it's really not how it works. You know, agents, it's so interesting because I really dealt, my first book is coming out, is out next week. And some people have been getting it on Amazon already, writing that gets noticed. And I delved into the world of agents because I have an agent and I researched agents very carefully. I think people make a mistake when it comes to agents. Hmm. They have a scarcity mindset. And therefore, the first agent who shows any interest, they're going to jump on. So what I've done is, and I've had agents show interest in me, but I have researched these agents on Publishers Marketplace to make sure that they have the standing Number one in the publishing community, which means that if you go into Publishers Marketplace and you could get a month subscription or a year subscription, you can check what deals they've had. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, sometimes I would meet an agent and they'd be interested and I would research them. And their last deal was in 2016. That mm-hmm. is not an agent I would be interested in. However, most people would be like, an agent is interested in me. It's sort of like going up to a dating site and the first guy who shows interest, you, you know, you want to be serious with them. Right. So that's one thing. I've had other agents tell me, oh, if you don't have 100,000. I had one agent who told me, if you don't have 100,000 followers, um, I'm not interested. And by the way, I'm not going to say names, but I looked up the books that that agent has represented, and they're frankly quite boring, and none of them have become bestsellers. So I'll rest my case on that. Um, I like an agent who is involved in the writing community who has had regular deals, who is at the top of like either owns their own compa- company or um, has been in the world for a while. There are definitely some hungry younger agents, but you don't know. They could jump from place to place. And I think it's really d- deciding where you are at in the career. But the one caution I would give is to remember, just like the dating pool, there's a big world out there. Don't devalue yourself. Even if someone says something about, A, your platform or your clips or who you are, you are the person who has to believe in your writing. Now, you don't just have a fake belief. You make sure you're studying your craft. You take classes. You follow you know, your podcast or my podcast, Freelance Writing Direct, where experts and authors and editors talk about what they're looking for and why they're successful, what they've done in terms of craft and in terms of technique. So that is what I want to tell people most of all.
0: I mean, I think that's amazing. I do think we have this tendency, a lot of us, to sell our, ourselves short. I'll never forget um, Molly Bloom, who is somebody I I know who who the book, uh, the movie Molly's Game was based on her, and she said she went around with her book, and everybody was passing, and she you know to make it into a movie, and then she said, you know what, I'm shooting too low. I got to get to Aaron Sorkin. And lo and behold, Aaron Sorkin made the movie. And I really think that is a lesson. It doesn't mean Aaron Sorkin's going to make all of our movies, but it does mean that, you know, exactly what you said, you can get into a scarcity mentality. However, most of the people I hear from do not have this problem. They have the problem that they are pitching and pitching and not hearing back from any agent. So what do you recommend in that case?
1: Yeah, uh, it's very hard to pitch into the dark. You don't know. You're just sending it out, sending it out. Uh, I write in my book that when I was dealing with infertility before I had my daughter in my 40s, I had a, a, a stint in medical education. And one of the things I did there was sending out grant proposals. And one of my bosses, who will not be named, but I used to call her Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her name was Elizabeth. Anyway, um, she told me, I want you to send out 100 grant proposals a day. And I didn't think that was very smart, because it was just throwing it into the wind, the same exact proposal. And when I had somebody else that I worked with, they said, let's be more targeted. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we got a grant with a big oncology pharmaceutical company. And so the people who keep sending their proposals out, A, they're not doing anything to build a network. How can they build a network? They can go to conferences. They can go to pitch SLAMS or like Writer's Digest Conference, which I speak at almost every year. And I'm going to be speaking at it this August in New York City, uh, teaching classes on pitching and essay writing. Well, not classes, but sessions. And I also teach classes for them. They have a part of the conference where agents come and you can directly face to face, meet with the agents and pitch your project. How good is that? Rather than sending it over and over into the void. They get to see you, they get the visual cues, they get to see your confidence, they get to hear and ask you questions and then you can follow up, we met at the conference. So you gotta spend a little money to make the money, I believe, very strongly. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be willing to do something
0: frightening. I bet you there's nobody. I hear that and I, you know, I've had multiple agents and many book deals and I go, God, the last thing I'd want to do is go stand up at a conference and pitch my book. That sounds terrifying, but you've got to get out of your comfort zone if you want this to happen. How? Okay. However, today there are a lot of sort of uh, slick marketing folks that I that I see out there who are putting on these conferences and you know big, making big promises. How do people know what's the right yeah. conference to go to? What what's worth investing in?
1: Right. So I would say that you need to make sure, just like there are publishing companies that just sprout out overnight, you have yeah. to do your due gil- diligence. If there is a conference go online, see reviews of it, see testimonials, you know, something like Writer's Digest. They've been around for decades. You know, you know that's a legitimate organization. The other organization I belong to is the American Society of Journalists and Authors, which also has where they offer agents, which is actually where um, I got my agent for the book, Writing That Gets Noticed, who covers nonfiction. And so you really need to look at the background. So my story is a little interesting because I had several agents who were interested in my book and my book idea. And because I have a basis uh, of work, a foundation behind me of teaching at NYU, Writer's Digest, being a magazine editor, being prolific, going viral, having students do well with their work. That was the interest in my platform. However, even though I had agent interest, I hadn't signed with an agent yet, because one of the things I did was I signed up to attend virtually the Atlanta Writers Conference. This is a conference that somebody had recommended to me. And they had an agent section where you could meet agents virtually. But what I was interested in was the acquiring editor for New World Library, Georgia Hughes, was going to be there. And I booked a session with her. Right. What I then did was pitch my idea. And she not only loved my idea, she gave me best manuscript, um, the best manuscript sample award for the all the people that she had spoken to. She said, you can work with an agent, I can suggest some, or if you have some. I then went back to the agents who I had spoken to. I did read through ASJA and other places that I knew. I researched the agents to see who had done writing books. And then when I I settled on the agent for this book, Rita Rosenzweig, who is owner of her, sorry, Skip that. Rita Rosenkrantz. It's okay? Sure. Keep going. they edit it? They can edit it out? It doesn't matter. Keep going. Okay. Um, So anyway, she um, Okay. So anyway, so she um, had told me she liked books about writing and she had done books about writing. And I said to her, well, I just want to be transparent. I had met uh, an assigning editor who was really great and is very interested. Right. And I told her the name. I said, I'm not cutting you out. You'll be part of it. And she said, I've worked with her for 30 years. So on deals. So amazing. It, it was the perfect... Synchronicity
0: and to keep Um, it relevant, too. I always want to keep it relevant for the person listening who isn't in that situation. Um, you know, like I said, most of the people listening don't have multiple agents that they've talked to and acquiring editors who are interested. But I think to parse out what I think is relevant is a lot of people will say, well, I want to go directly to the publisher who wants to give money to an agent. An agent is probably going to make you more money and keep you uh, protected which isn't to say a publisher is trying to take advantage of you but just that um, you want an agent if you want to go traditionally and I'm constantly talking about uh, why would anyone go traditional when uh, they don't have to I mean the way I look at it is if you want to go to the big five um you know, the Harper Collins, they're all they've all been acquired by each other. But you know, a Harper or a Simon Schuster or Hachette or something like that. Um, it is so hard. I spoke to somebody this week. Her first book sold twenty thousand copies, and and Harper said to her, "You didn't sell enough for us to get to give you a second deal." Um, and uh, we're working with an influencer right now who has a one billion views. And who doesn't want to go traditional because she doesn't want to deal with that. Um, What can you speak to going to, to deciding to go traditional and not going to one of the big ones?
1: Yeah. I'm, I mean, so I know somebody who I won't name, but she had a deal with one of the big five and got a lot of money. And then her book came out and it, didn't sell what they expected. And so it's now problematic for her to get another book sold. So that's one thing that I don't think a lot of people ever take into consideration. Um, My publisher is a traditional publisher because they've been in business for 40 years, and I have a very personal connected story to it because Shakti Gawan, who wrote Creative Visualization, was the uh, creator, was one of the co-founders of New World Library, and they're a wonderful company. I recommend anybody to work with them. So if you're looking at, um, if you have in your mind only Big Five, and I'm not saying, don't think of that. I mean, it's always great to have a goal, but I also know somebody who published there and was the last on their totem pole. I mean, they had big celebrity names that they were throwing their weight behind. And so that really didn't work out as well. I'm sure there are people who can navigate it and work within the structure. And I I do believe that you have to, when you have an agent, an agent will negotiate for you. An agent will support you. Um, It depends how you want your agent to work with you. And an agent will advocate for you or should advocate for you um, as best as they can to get you the best deal, the best standing, the best support. With with that said, I don't think you should rely totally on your agent. You have to navigate and build relationships with whatever publisher you're working with. And they have to look at you as somebody that they respect. So I believe the best situation is a very collaborative one. And the thing is, just to be clear, if a, if a publisher is
0: acquiring you, they respect you. It's not that they don't respect you. It's just that they're... Business people, and if they've got a Glennon Doyle or a a famous person, they're going to put their effort and their money behind that person because it's low-hanging fruit. Um, But it doesn't mean they don't respect you. I, you know, I did six books with Harper. My first one acquired and all this buzz, and then Judith Regan was fired, and it all kind of went to hell. And then I remember my agent sitting down with me and saying. Now, do you think, I think now's the time to talk about writing under a pen name. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I sold my book to the biggest publisher for all this money, and now it's a pen. She's like, yeah, but... And I was so offended um, and I continued to get deals with, you know, I did six with Harper and I was just not someone they valued and it didn't mean they didn't respect me. it just means that they have the, the bigger people. And I think that that is also a misconception people have. They think I've made it uh, this guarantees success. And I actually believe the opposite. I believe a smaller publisher is, um, is actually going to try to guarantee success for all their authors rather than just the tiny one percent that they know will be worth the investment
1: i would say that a smaller publisher but one that has uh traditional publishing methods so they have process for the cover for the editing, for the copy editing, for getting the ISBN number for the, you know, that that is stuff that they're taking on themselves for indexing. Indexing is so important uh, if you're doing a nonfiction book, particularly. And just to break down indexing, you know, having references at the end, is that what indexing is? It's when you have, like, if you mention, like, in my book, I mention Ann Hood, who's also been on my podcast, and then there's a page number where she's right. mentioned in the book.
0: Yeah. So an index at the end, almost like a bib- what a bibliography was when we were students.
1: Yes. And I also have a notes section, so everything is corroborated when I mention scientific studies, which I do a lot in my book, uh, to support writing process and and ways to get the words on the page.
0: And you know, we have to we have to wrap up. I think this has been so helpful for both, you know, people who want to get published uh in periodicals, you know, in in print and online and for people seeking agents. Another thing for people uh for both of these, I do think um showing up on the gatekeeper social media can make a difference. Um People will, you know, some of these agents have sub stacks that you can subscribe to. They're out there being public. And I do think making yourself somebody who's known to them, you don't necessarily have to go to a conference. You can do that with a lot of effort
1: online. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been great speaking with you.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. So everybody go check out writing that gets noticed. And, um, I think it, everything that we've talked about, it goes into even more detail on. And so I think, you know, you've heard how much expertise she has. I, you know, I, I think probably one of the great experts today on how to get published. So, um, thank you so much Estelle and thanks you guys for listening.
1: Thank you, Anna. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the show. Now, a request from me. If you've ever used any of the tips or techniques you've heard about from the show, please take a few seconds to give the show a rating or review and find out all about how my company, Legacy Launchpad, writes and launches books at www.legacylaunchpadpub.com. See you next week.